Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked the young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. TV. It's going to be sick. Marinero on this Tuesday night. It is May 16. It's two minutes past 10 o'clock. And we are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, and live on Twitter. It is the Sick Podcast. We're going to go till at least 11 o'clock. And we have a good one lined up tonight because Ryan Sporer of the Hockey Writers, he wrote a great piece on what the Montreal Canadiens can learn from the four teams remaining in the playoffs. And we're going to get to Ryan in just a minute. About 30 minutes from now, we are going to Toronto to talk to Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun on who's going to pay the price because yesterday we had a chance to hear from Kyle Dubas, who doesn't even know if he has it in him to return. Maybe he will. Maybe he's going to have to take some time away, take a sabbatical, because it's been a very taxing season on him and on his family. So we're going to hear from Austin Matthews. We're going to hear from Mitch Marner. We're going to hear from Morgan Riley, Nylander. We're even going to hear from my buddy Carlo Kuliakovo, who earlier this morning basically said, you want to pin the blame on somebody, uh, You he knows who to pin it on. And we're going to hear what he had to say as well. We're going to get to all of that. The Sick Podcast is brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group who was recently named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies. This comes to no surprise to me, folks. I'll tell you that right now. I could have told you that a long time ago, but it was made official last week. Uh, You know, the country's leading business award, uh, recognizing innovative and world-class companies, the best managed Canadian companies designation fuels energy's purpose for creating progress for their customers, their employees, and their communities. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. I love those guys. I also love the Geloso Beverage Group distributors of La Bitta TV. Brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TV, embrace your true nature. And Excel Moto, premier motorcycle and scooter dealership in Montreal for over 20 years. Uh, big-time dealer of the Piaggio Group, which is Aprilia and Piaggio, and, of course, Vespa. And uh, their dealership carries seven different motorcycle and scooter brands. And once again, the number one Aprilia and Piaggio ambassadors for the last five years, Excel Moto, uh, your ultimate destination and best customer service experience, 5480 Pare. Uh, you can check them out at excelmoto.com. You got the number there. You can give them a call. 
And in my opinion, if you're going to pick up a Vespa in the city, that's the place you have to pick it up. Why? Because Tony Marinaro said so. That's why. Special hello to everyone watching us on YouTube Live, on Twitter Live, and on Facebook Live. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring in a gentleman who has joined us on um, the Sick Podcast before. Uh, yes, he has. And uh, he is uh, Ryan Sporer of uh, the Hockey Writers. And uh, we'll bring him in. Here we go. Hold on a second. Hello. Okay. And we have Ryan. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing extremely well. Thank you very much. And I talked about it. You wrote a piece. And you talked about what the Montreal Canadiens can learn from the four teams that are remaining in the playoffs. There you go. It's a copycat league, and there are lessons every team can learn from the Cup semifinalists. The Canadians look to be on their way. Uh, they'll go, Habs go, you say. What the Canadians can learn from the 2023 Cup semifinalists. Um, so you talk about it being a, a copycat league. Is that what you find has happened over the past couple of years? that several teams will take a look at the teams that are in the final four and say, Hey, you know what? Let's take a look at what's going on. Why are they there? How did they get there? And maybe there's something that we can learn from some of these teams. I mean, I'd say so. I think when the Canadians lost to the, to the temporary landing in the Stanley Cup final a few seasons ago, everyone kind of stopped and reassessed how the Canadians got there and what they can do to maybe get over the hump. Obviously things took a turn for the worse with, Carey Price and, and Shea Weber um, retiring. Yeah. Uh, but I, in a way, that's kind of an opportunity to get those contracts off the books and maybe start fresh. Um, and I think, for for example, the Carey Price contract was kind of an albatross. Yeah. And for example, and, and I mentioned the piece, you know, one of the lessons I, I think should be learned uh, is that you don't necessarily need an elite goalie, or especially one with a $10.5 million cap, it's to go far. Uh, but then again, then again, just for the sake of conversation here, because it's much more interesting when we can probably uh, spark up a debate, Ilya Brzgalov is a $10.5 million goalie, and I know he hasn't played like it over the past several years, uh, but he has played like it this year in the playoffs. You mean Bobrovsky? Uh, Bobrovsky, uh... pardon me, Brzgalov. Bobrovsky, Sergei Bobrovsky, pardon me. Yeah. Where did I get Ilya Brzgalov, by the way? Does Brzgalov sound like Bobrovsky? Yeah, a little bit, yes. It starts with a B. Other than that, no. Sergey Bobrovsky, pardon me, of the Florida Panthers. I mean, he looks like the goalie that he used to be with the Columbus Blue Jackets back in the day that was sporting the best numbers. That's the reason why he got that contract of $10.5 million. What do you make of him? I think that, you know, kudos to Sergey Bobrovsky and, and Florida Panthers, obviously. Um, you know, he's playing well. I just think he's notoriously inconsistent and, you know, his success, current success notwithstanding, I think that if the Panthers had had the chance to get rid of that contract heading into the playoffs, they would have taken that. I mean, they probably wouldn't be as far as, as they are right now without him. I'll readily admit that. But Yeah, yeah. sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make, right? Because you're right. You would think that if you take a look at their goalie situation, their cap situation, that if they could have found the taker for Bobrovsky, he would have been gone. But if he wouldn't have been, if he would have been gone, they wouldn't have beat the Boston Bruins, and they that's, wouldn't beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, that's very possible. I mean, uh, Lyon, Alex Lyon, who had started the playoff run for the Panthers, had played competently. I'll, I'll give him that. 
Um, and I, I don't think that they would have been in the Bruins uh, without Bobrovsky. But uh, Maple Leafs, who knows? And, and it's a moot point. Uh, but all that to say, I think that the Panthers are kind of, I, and I mentioned the Panthers obviously in the piece as well. I think they're proof mm-hmm. that, you know, and maybe Bobrovsky is a, you know, proof of this as well that anything can happen is once you get into the playoffs. I don't think anyone foresaw Bobrovsky standing on his head to the degree he has. And I don't think anyone really saw Panthers rekindling their, you know, President's Trophy winning mojo from last season okay. and knocking yeah. off Bruins after just sneaking into the playoffs. But this is what I like about your piece uh, is that you take a look at the four teams and you identify Vegas as the team where you say the Canadians don't need another carry price. And then you take a look at the other teams and you talk about what they have that the Canadians don't have and all that stuff. Um, so what does Vegas have to be where they are? Because they don't have a carry pricing goal. As a matter of fact, you're right about that. As a matter of fact, on paper, they have um, lesser names than they have had for several years, probably since they've been in the league. Um, you know, they're not going forward with a Robin Lehner. They're not going forward with a Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, so, you know, and um, what do they have? They have an incredibly balanced lineup through, you know, top to bottom. And I think um, if the the Canadians, like hypothetical scenario, if the Canadians yeah. have the opportunity to switch rosters, you know, yeah. with the Vegas Golden Knights, I think they would take it in a heartbeat. I think any fan would. You know, you've got Mark Stone. You've got Pietrangelo on the back end. You've got William Carlson, who's an incredible two-way center. Yeah. Um, it, March or so, who's you know mm-hmm. threw away for all intents and purposes. Same yeah. with Ryan Smith. I mean, they've got an incredible top nine, and you know a back end that's you know aside from Pietrangelo, maybe and uh, Shea Theodore, maybe not as many big names, but still very competent blue line. You know what they have, um, and and I think you put it right when you said that they have an imbalance a balanced lineup. They definitely do. Their top four on defense reminds me of the top four the Canadians had a couple of years ago when they got to the final. Yeah. I mean, but to be fair, that, you know, the Canadians' top four, that's that at the playoffs, they were playing mind blowingly above their heads. But yes. Yeah. But they were, they were, they were, um, they were a playoff top four. Yeah. You know, you take a look at Ben Sherratt for 82 games in a season. You take a look at Joel Edmondson for 82 games in a season. And chances are you're not going to love them as much as a 28-game, maximum 28-game cup run um, in the playoffs because you it's more defensive in the playoffs. There's more clutching and grabbing. There's more holding. You get away with more infractions. You get away with more physicality. You get away with more stick work. But if I take a look at the top four for the Vegas Golden Knights, and yes, you're right. They are very complete uh, at center. Uh, They're pretty deep with Eichel and Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson on the wing on their top three lines. They have three different players that can produce offense and Jonathan Marchessault and Mark Stone and Riley Smith, to name a few. But on defense, Alex Pietrangelo, who would be, let's just say, their version of Shea Weber uh, being their best defenseman, Uh, Shea Theodore, Alec Martinez, and Braden McNabb. Maybe different style defensemen that the Canadians had, but a team that is very, very um, 
reliant on their top four. Very reliant. Sure. All right, let's take a look at other teams. What can the Canadians learn from the team that's going up against Vegas, the Dallas Stars? Uh, this is kind of a tough one because I, th I think that it's more so just optimism in the sense that, you know, the Dallas Stars, they kind of were the team right before the Canadians to get beaten by the Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. And they, they actually missed the playoffs the following season, much like the Canadians did, you know, finishing last place right after, you know, they reached the Stanley Cup final. So I think that there's a degree of maybe that can happen to, to the Canadians in the sense that, you know, they're, they're not necessarily far off from, you know, another run to, you know, the final four, hopefully maybe a Stanley Cup final appearance. Um, granted the Canadians have, obviously missed the playoffs for a second straight season, but I do believe that they're trending up. I mean, last place last season, fifth from last this season, I think there was a lot more optimism in the air. Uh, patience as well, but optimism nevertheless with regard to how they were generally in-game start to finish. Yeah. Losses. But, okay, so, you know... Um... You talk about the road, the road back to responsibility doesn't have to be long. Uh, and, and that Dallas was able to uh, turn it around uh, in a short period of time. But here's the deal, though. You know, the same argument you made that, you know, Vegas has showed us that you don't need a carry price and goal. But Dallas has showed us that you have to have a guy who could be as hot as carry price. Well, then you can go far, too. So that's true. Uh, Jake Ottinger, uh, obviously. Um but that's true of pretty much any team. Like you need to be peaking at the right time, including in net, and anyone can theoretically, you know, take the reins in net. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it would be great to have an Ottinger net over, say, a Samuel Montembeau, um, who I, I have to give props to. Really, he, he proved me wrong this season with. You know, playing the way he did, I think he's shown incredible upside, maybe to the point of being a legitimate quality backup in the NHL moving forward. Yeah. Uh, he's showing his worth with Canada at the World Championships as well. Yeah, kudos to him. Uh, and I definitely look forward to seeing what he can do next season. Uh, I do believe, I mean, it remains to be seen what happens, but I believe he's done enough to earn at least, you know, the interim number one spot over Jake Allen. Um, I don't believe he's a, he's the number one uh, in this league. I hope he proves me wrong. But, um, yeah, I, I think that if you can get an Ottinger at a cost-effective price, draft them, for example, and, you know, take advantage of that entry-level deal, you'd obviously prefer to have someone of that caliber over Montembeau, over Jake Allen. yeah. But it's not, it's not necessarily a luxury every team has, especially at uh, you know, that price point. So you have to determine where you want to spend your cap space. And I don't believe it's necessarily in net. I think you want to insulate your goaltending with you know, pretty good offense up front, pretty good defense on the back end. And that's proven to be you know, a recipe that works. So when you talk about the Dallas Stars and the road back to uh, uh, respectability, 
How long do you think that road back is for the Montreal Canadiens when you take a look into your uh, crystal ball? I, I honestly believe that next season they'll be competing for a playoff spot up until the trade deadline, at which point it won't really make sense for, for general manager Kent Hughes to, you know, sell off assets for the purposes, or sorry, become a buyer at the trade deadline for the sake of a uh, cup run. I, I don't think they'll have the, the horses to do it next season, but um, I, I think that they'll be even more competitive and be in the playoff picture for a long while. Uh, I, I just think a lot of, I, I hear you, but I don't know, Ryan, if they're going to have the courage. If let's just say if they're in a playoff spot next year, yeah. the week of the deadline uh, or on deadline day, they're in the top eight. They're in a playoff spot. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't think that next year they're going to have the courage to be a seller. Now, once again, if I were a betting man today right now, I would bet the Canadians do not make the playoffs next year and that they'll make the playoffs the year after that. But I will reiterate once again that if trade deadline week next year or the day of the deadline, the Montreal Canadiens are in a playoff spot, I don't see how they end up being a seller. Let me clarify. I, I don't think they'll be in a playoff spot. I think they'll be in the mix, kind of like where the auto senators were at the time of the trade deadline. Okay. I think Hughes will have to properly assess the situation and determine that, okay, it's not going to happen. Similar to what Steve Eisenman did with the Red Wings this season. I mean, they were right there. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't sell off assets or he didn't make a move at the deadline to push the team over the hump. Um, so I think that, you know, there's a case to be made for both sides. But, you know, I don't believe that the Canadians are going to be a playoff team next season. Maybe the year after. I do believe that they have there is a way where they contend for the Stanley Cup by 2025-2026 it's possible but they do need they do need to find someone to replace Montembeau because i don't believe that he's the goaltender of the future all right okay i i uh, hear you why is uh, why do you think uh, Dadanov's working out in uh, Dallas a lot more than he worked out in Montreal <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't think he – I mean, it's hard for me to say because I'm not in his head, but I don't think he really wanted to be in Montreal, which is fair considering the rebuild. Um, you know, he did nix the trade at the last trade deadline to the Ducks, if I remember correctly. So it wasn't exactly the kind of situation he really wanted to be in. Um, or sorry, he didn't nix – he tried to nix the trade yeah. or then the trade got canceled. That was – those were the circumstances because his – no trade clause wasn't on. Um, all that to say, I mean, I think that the Dallas Stars have a much better team than the Canadians, or at least a much healthier team than Montreal Canadiens. And um, he was able to, you know, get the proper teammates to, you know, for the longest time, he was kind of uh, floundering in the bottom six with, with the Canadians. He's got a deeper lineup with the Stars. Well, and, he's playing with Wyatt Johnston and Jamie Benn. That's not too shabby, eh? Well, John, Johnson is obviously, you know, on, on the rise. Um, the rookie uh, had a good rookie season, and Ben, yeah. he's definitely... Yeah, he had a good season, too. Uh, he's seen better days, I think, from a production standpoint overall, but yeah. uh, 
I think he had a bit of a resurgence this season. Um, you gotta, so yeah, you gotta, yeah, Brian, you got to like the Dallas Stars at center, eh? Uh, Rupi Hintz, Max Domi, Wyatt Johnston, and Radic Faxon. For those Canadians fans who are watching right now saying, hold on a second here. Max Domi, well, Max Domi has 11 points in 13 playoff games. He's bringing it in the playoffs, man. He's bringing it. Yeah, but Dadanov has like nine, so. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked Domi with the Canadians. Um, it's a shame that it didn't work out. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't really... It, I think that the Canadians are in a better position moving forward, you know, with their young guns, the way things have panned out. And I don't know if they'd be in the same position with all their prospects had Domi stayed. Yeah, well, listen, uh, it was a great year, yeah, with the Canadians when he picked up 72 points. There's no doubt about that. But uh, after that, unfortunately, uh, the year after that, he found himself on the fourth line down the stretch with a Claude Julien coach team. Remember that? I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, my God, uh, the way things change, and they change pretty fast. Huh? All right, okay, let's take a look at some of the other teams and um, the um, the Carolina Hurricanes. What can the Canadians learn from the Carolina Hurricanes? Uh, not to get rid of Jesperi Kakaniemi, I guess. Um, not. Nah, Are you I, a I'm, fan? Are you a fan? I think he's gotten a bad reputation, and his name has been dragged through the mud for signing an offer sheet that anyone would have signed. Um, that having been said, I think Mark Bergevin made the right decision not having not patching. Uh, I don't think he made the right decision getting Christian Vorak with the compensation, but I, I don't think you, you know, pay Kakanyemi that much. Um, and you know, I, I, it, Ryan, I don't, I don't know if it's the right decision today. I mean, it, it looked like it, like if we talk strictly offer sheet, yeah, and uh, over six million dollars a year, yeah, you don't want to match that. But you take a look at the extension that he signed at the four point eight. I take that. Oh, I take it too. I. I I just think that th there was no way to predict what would have happened with that extension at the time of the offer sheet. So I, I can't really blame Bergevin for not matching it. I maybe blame him for letting it get to the point, negotiations-wise, where he did. Uh, not Kakemi felt like he needed to sign that offer sheet. Um, but what's done is done. Um, I prefer to have Kakemi too over Dvorak, but if, I, I don't dislike Dvorak. I just think Kakinami has a higher ceiling, and he's proving that now. Um, all that to say, what I really like about the Hurricanes is, well, I think that I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that they're the best teams left standing right now, um, and they're showing how, in spite of you know injuries to Max Pacioretty and Andrei Svechnikov, that. They've got an incredibly deep lineup. Uh, they know how to play. And uh, I think a lot of the credit goes to Rod Brennamore, the coach, head coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think he's instilled this kind of culture that the Canadians fans can maybe look to as a model for what, you know, Martin St. Louis has begun to instill, you know, in his charges. I think that's... I like St. Louis as this team's head coach. I'm not going to lie. I think he's a player's coach. I think he's the right coach for right now. And as he begins to gain more experience, 
he might even be the good, you know, the coach for when this team is ready to contend. Um, and I think that this idea of he's instilled a winning culture on this team. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a misconception. So a lot of people point to, you know, the losses that they've sustained and, and say, well, it's not a winning culture. They're not winning. I think a winning culture is more indicative of, you know, them playing to win and, you know, playing from, you know, the opening whistle to the final buzzer every game. And sure, there were times when that wasn't the case, but by and large, that's what they did all season long. And I think with that attitude, you know, that that turnaround isn't going to be that long. It's like I said, I feel like they're going to be competitive, you know, next season and in the mix for a playoff spot up until at least the trade deadline. Who do you think they end up with at number five? And I know that it all it's all relative, all depending on who's going to go out in three and four. I think it's pretty safe to say that everyone thinks that Bedard will go one and Fantilli will go two. Uh, as you look in your crystal ball, how do you see uh, how do you see the third pick going, the fourth pick going, and ultimately who do the Canadians select with their fifth pick? I'll tell you that I I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd love for them if he's available to pick Matt Bedard out of the KHL. I think that he's the second best prospect available behind Bedard, and I think that the Canadians could really use a player of his caliber because they are lacking that top end skill up front. I mean. They've got Suzuki, they've got Caulfield, but I think a guy like Mitkov would be a perfect complement to those players. I, I, you know what? I, I, I I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, uh, Mitchkov's talent is is pretty uh, self-explanatory, but I just I have a feeling he's going to slide in the draft. I don't know how much he's going to slide. I think he will be available to the Canadians at five, and I believe they will pass. I, I wouldn't. I, mean, I can understand that. Um, I, I, you know, I've heard, you know. Rumors that maybe they're going with maybe slightly off the board with rumors. I've heard the read the reports that they might go with Ryan Backer, for example, a right defense, right handed defenseman. But, you know, they'd be going off the board to do that. And I think if you're kind of resigned to going off the board and picking a lesser player with that fifth overall pick, it makes sense to take a chance on, on Mikov. Um, uh, that's just my two cents. Yeah. I think that you have. I, I don't know if they're going to have the courage to go off the board in a draft like this. Mind you, the Red Wings back in the day of the Mort Sider draft, they did because a lot of people thought that Mort Sider was going to end up going 15, 16, 17, whatever it was. They ended up picking him, uh, what was it? I don't know, six or seven or whatever. And uh, I guess they have no complaints because uh, he's turned out to be a pretty amazing defenseman. You know what I mean? That's true. And I, I, I can't late claim to any knowledge that of you know who they're going to pick or if that pick is going to pan out i think that they're in a good position to pick a great player and i'm willing to give hughes the benefit of the doubts yeah um, i didn't necessarily agree with the slavkovsky pick um but again we'll see it's we've got a few years before we we find out you know if he pans out and so you hold on a second you disagree with the slavkovsky pick who would you have picked I personally would have picked right, but you know I would have gone with the center. So I think maybe Cooley at this point would have been the better option. Um, I, I like Doc. I think he's worked out. So I can't really. I think if they had Doc in their back pockets at the draft, which yeah. they did, yeah, I, I can understand the pick a lot more. Um, so in ending, in ending, what do you think the Montreal Canadiens can learn from the final team that we didn't get to, even though we did talk about Bobrovsky from the Florida Panthers? 
Well, I think uh, just that, like I said, anything can happen. Uh, who knows? I think that once they get in, then whenever that is, it, it magic can happen. And we know from experience from just a few seasons ago, what happened when they just got into the playoffs, they reached the Stanley Cup final. And yeah, they got outclassed by the Lightning, but, you know, it was a magical run. And, I, you know, I, it was the first time really I had a chance to experience that in my lifetime. I was yeah. around for the 93 Cup, but I wasn't old enough to really understand the magnitude yeah. of what I was watching. Yeah. So it was fun. It was really fun to watch that. And yeah, I, look, I, I know it looked like the, the Panthers weren't going to make the playoffs at one point, but now that we see the way they performed in the playoffs, I think it's pretty safe to say that they resemble more the Panthers of one year ago than they did during this past regular season. Of course, there was a big trade that was made. They traded Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger to the Calgary Flames in return. They got Matthew Kachuk. A lot of people at the time thought that Florida lost on that deal and that Calgary was getting the better player straight up because Huberto had such a great season. But I think one year later, we're seeing Jonathan Huberto is not Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk was unbelievable in the regular season. He's been an unbelievable leader for that team. He's been unbelievable in the playoffs. And given his age and the fact that he's a lot younger than Jonathan Huberto, that looks like a big-time win for the Florida Panthers. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation, Ryan. Thanks for joining me, and I hope to talk to you again soon, man. Have a great summer, if I don't. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. There you have it, Ryan Spore. We're now leaving Montreal, and we are going to Toronto because, of course, it was uh, several days ago that the Toronto Maple Leafs were eliminated in round two, six games to the Florida Panthers in Toronto. Man, that hurts. And, you know, going into the playoffs, if you would have told Toronto that they were going to get eliminated or Maple Leafs fans, they were going to get eliminated in round two in six games, maybe some Leafs fans would have taken it because, of course, they hadn't passed the first round in the longest time. But even though they did now and they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, there are a lot of people disappointed in Toronto. And one guy who's been covering the lease for a very, very long time. And man, he really knows how to get people going when he writes about them. It's a pleasure for me to talk to Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun. Steve, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, Steve. It's not the first time I've had you on. I'd love to have you on more often because uh, you uh, you generate a lot of reaction. I know you know that with your columns and with your comments. You kind of say it like the way it is. Uh, some people have a hard time taking it. I personally love it. So here, uh, how about that comment I made before when I said, if you would have told Leafs fans probably a month, a month and a half ago that the Leafs were going to get eliminated in the second round, that most of them would probably take it, but yet it seems like no one's happy with their elimination now. Your thoughts on that? Well, if, if it were going to be eliminated in the second round by the Boston Bruins having a record-breaking season for points and wins, then probably people would have taken it. Um, to get eliminated by the Florida Panthers, who made the playoffs only because Pittsburgh lost to Chicago two or three days left in the season, if Pittsburgh wins that game, Pittsburgh's in the playoffs, and it, and Florida's not. Uh, so to lose to a Florida team, to get whacked, and, and I repeat the word, whacked, by the Florida Panthers, um, the Leafs never showed up for the first three games of the series. It was like they just thought, oh, we'll get here, we'll play, we'll win, we'll move on. Uh, I don't think they took the Panthers lightly or they didn't respect the process. But whatever it was, it, it didn't work for them. 
they actually, it's funny, they had they didn't have a great first round. They got fortunate. Things bounced their way and went their way. And I thought of the six games with Tampa, I thought they were the better team in two of them. But they won in, 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 in six and, and give them yeah. that. I and mean, you can beat a team with John Cooper coaching and Hedman playing defense and Vasilevsky in goal. You've accomplished something. And the city yeah. went crazy because it's been so long. So but, I don't disagree with you, but and we're going to get to that in just a second. But that's one way of looking at it. They lost to that Florida team who should have missed the playoff if Pittsburgh was going to win their final game of the regular season. But that same Florida team beat that record-breaking Boston Bruin team that you talked about, despite being down three games to one in round one and going to Boston and winning two games, game five and game seven, eliminating the Bruins in front of their fans. That's that same Florida Panthers team, too. Yeah, and, and and I'm going to look at that two ways because I watched that series really closely. Okay. Hardly for a moment. I'm going back to game one here. As they took the lead in the series, the Bruins did not look like that team that had dominated the NHL all season long with their sound play in three zones. Suddenly, a team with great goaltending all season long wasn't yep. get, getting great goaltending in the playoffs. That's Suddenly, true. They didn't have Patrice Bergeron, Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, you know, the two veteran centers who carried their offense, you know, so much of what with David Pasternak all season long. So Pasternak's not scoring. The two old guys aren't playing. And when they're playing, they're playing hurt. Uh, so the Bruins did not in any way resemble that record setting team. It was like that was a flawed hockey team. And the Panthers, God bless them, took advantage of it. Yeah, and either it was a flawed hockey team or it was a hockey team who probably put too much onus on the regular season. And, uh, you know, they had little gas left in the tank because it just consumed them. Could be that, yeah, too. That, that, yeah. You know, Jim, Jim Montgomery made a mistake. He, he rode them too hard. I, agree I think with, with 10, 10, 15 games to go, they could have sort of, you know, slid to the finish line, and they did. Yeah. They went hard right to the end. And... And, you know, I, I don't think they'd ever do that again. And I don't think he'd ever do that again. Yeah. Uh, and so the Leafs were of the mindset that second round, the test is Boston. And that's the best test you're going to get all year. And maybe they can get through. And maybe they always played well with Boston. Yeah. So maybe that could happen. Maybe it couldn't. And then who knows after that? It's funny you say that because I brought that up with Mark Bertrand a couple of weeks ago, the Sports Hub 98.5 in Boston. He's the midday show host or co-host. And I said that to him and he said, yeah, but you have to understand. He said, uh, Patrice Bergeron told Jim Montgomery down the stretch, you know what? We need to have everyone playing together because we need to have some chemistry going into the playoffs because Montgomery at one point was starting to rest a few guys and Bergeron said, it's not a good idea. And I said to Mark, I said, Mark, I completely understand. But who's coaching that team? Is it Jim Montgomery or is it Patrice Bergeron? I believe that Montgomery should have rested his guys. And by the way, if he would have rested Bergeron that final game of the regular season, he's not getting hurt. He's starting the playoffs because he got hurt in that game in Montreal. You know the old Marv Levy line from the coach of the Buffalo Bills and the Montreal Alouettes? Montreal Alouettes, yes. If you start listening to the fans, soon you're going to be sitting with them. And That's that's, an amazing line. That's from Marv. Yeah. Uh, I love the line, and it, it applies to coaches listening to players too. Coaches have to do what coaches believe is right. Yeah, and yeah. A person like Bergeron, you do listen to, and you know because he's so accomplished, and he, you know, he's done everything you could possibly do in hockey, and he's had a phenomenal Hall of Fame career. So you do listen, but sometimes, sometimes you're not right. 
And, you know, look at look at Linus Allmark. He's going to win the Vesna Trophy. He's going to be the first all-star team goalie. And, yeah. he, and he dumped the bed in, in round one. He wasn't very good. And, then, and they waited too long then to pull him. And, and that was it. That was the end of it. And, and so the Bruins went, and the Leafs went with them, and the teams that played smarter, sounder, playoff-style hockey, well, yeah. the four best are still playing. Uh, they are. And, uh, you know, to the uh, the images of we want Florida, we want Florida, F- Maple Leafs fans in Leaf Square saying that they wanted the Florida Panthers. They wanted to avoid the Boston Bruins. They wanted them. They got them. Can you begin to put into words what the atmosphere was like when Carter Verhage scores that game winning goal in overtime and everyone in that building and the fan base Maple Leaf fan base around the world, especially in Toronto, realized we just got eliminated by the Florida Panthers, the team that we thought that we were going to like eat up and spit out. Can you begin to put in the words, you know, the what was going on in that city? I think the punch came after game three, not really at the after game five. It came after game three. They're down three nothing to this team that barely made the playoffs. Uh, they're 19 points better than them. And they had not deserved to win any of the three games. And yeah. In game three, it was like the Leafs lost their heart. They lost their spirit. Whatever it is that pushes players was missing that night. And, and to quote my friend Ray Ferraro, who I think is the smartest um, commentator in hockey today, uh, he said, if David Camp is your best player, you have a problem. And in game three, David Camp was the Leafs' best player, and they had a problem. They came back with a reasonably strong game four, which yeah. was their only game of the series that, that as a fan, you could or should be proud of. And then, you know, and then game five, they, they lost in overtime. But, you know, throughout the game, they were not the better team that night. And, and they didn't have the better chances. And, and they didn't deserve in any way to win the series. And so they go out. And the punch in the gut really came when they lost game three. Because if, if you win game three and it's 2-1 and now you, you're sort of believing you're back in this thing yeah. and maybe your, your talent starts to take over. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Three-nothing down is a mountain that seems too, too high to climb. Well, it's been done, what, three or four times in hockey history and never in yeah. the NBA. Um, you know, the Red Sox did it to the Yankees. But to be honest, it, it rarely if ever happens. And what often happens is at 3 nothing, the other team wins – to sort of avoid being swept, and then they lose game five. You know, you've put everything out for that one game. Yeah. And, and you know, I hate that expression. But, by about- the way, I don't know if I said at one point that they lost in six, but, yes, they obviously lost in five. But, you know, okay. even though you said that, you know, we we talked about the mountain too big to climb, Steve. I, just, I don't know about you. Maybe I just – I got the feeling that if Toronto was going to score – and win that game to over in overtime that that series was going to go seven. Obviously, we can throw that out the window because it didn't happen. And even if it would have happened, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to seven. But, um, you know, the way Toronto got back in that game because they were down 2 nothing at home and they're, they're able to, to clutch and claw their way back in that game and they tie it up and stuff like that. But you wrote a piece. Uh, you wrote a, a couple of pieces now in the Toronto Sun over the past couple of days where, you know, a lot of Leafs Nation and hockey fans around the world are looking and they're looking at Dubas and the, some of them are looking at Keefe and some of them are looking at Matthews and some of them are looking at Marner and some of them are looking at 
Nylander and maybe a couple less are looking at Tavares. But you wrote a piece about Brendan Shanahan, and I thought it was a very, very logical piece because at the end of the day, it's Shanahan that wanted to go with Dubas. Dubas ended up going with Keefe. It's Shanahan's responsibility. And if Shanahan is replaced, then you'd think a new president will bring in his own general manager and a new general manager will bring in his own coach. But if Shanahan remains, then it's interesting to see what happens after that. So let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you, should he stay or should he go? And I'd love to under, you know, know your reasoning why. Brendan Shanahan, should he stay or should he go? I'm a huge Brendan Shanahan fan, uh, both personally and professionally. And if okay. I was the owner of the Maple Leafs, I would replace him tomorrow. Um, I, I think nine years is a, is a great run. He's done some amazing things here. He has turned the franchise or from sort of laughing stock to very credible. Um, unfortunately, not credible enough come playoff time. And he put his faith in, in Kyle Dubas, his general manager, and Kyle Dubas's belief of, of talent trumps all, um, you know, has been proven not to be successful come playoff time. And and Kyle's, you know, hand-picked coach is Sheldon Keefe, who was his coach in junior hockey and his coach with the Marlies and, his, and now his coach with the Leafs. Those two are connected at the hip. Shanahan's connected to one. So I think if one goes, basically they all go. Um, but... I don't know if any of that's happening. And and the thing is, when you don't have real ownership, and by that I mean the one person who owns the team, the George Steinbrenner, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. It's, they have corporate ownership. And two corporations who can't stand each other own 75% of the team, each 37.5%. Bell so and Bell Sportsnet, and Rogers, for those watching, yeah. 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 Bell and Rogers, Rogers I mean. who can't decide – that today is Monday, let alone tomorrow being Tuesday or the next day being Wednesday, whatever day it is, they can't agree on what day it is. They're going to have to now put their heads together and make a decision. And Larry Tannenbaum, who they let sort of play as the de facto owner, yeah, he's a 25% guy who really can't make a decision in this case. It's got to come for those two guys have to put their heads together or those two companies have to put their heads together and decide what they're going to do and neither of them are in the hockey business. And frankly, neither of them probably should be in the hockey business. But they're the ones who are going to make the most important decision of what happens to this franchise or impacts it going forward. Well, one guy who was in the hockey business and still is, he's former NHLer Carlo Kaliakovo, who's the co-host of the morning show uh, in Toronto. And here he is earlier this morning on his show, First Up. Listen to this. See that there's a disconnect between the players and the coach, which is why I wouldn't opt to make a coaching change with this team. I've said it from day one, and I'm going to stay it, stay with it till now. The Maple Leafs don't have a coaching problem. They don't have a GM problem. They have a player problem. The players that this team has trusted for the last five years are all great players, but together they are just not capable of getting the job done. It's an interesting comment because there's def several ways you can take a look at it because I understand what Carlos saying, but then you can say, well, the coach has to get those players to be able to play together. And you can also say if they're not coming together, maybe it's because they don't have chemistry to come together and that's on the GM. So I understand his point, 
but you can take that so many different ways and break it down, right? Well, you start, you know, yes, the players have underperformed this year, last year against Montreal a few years ago. You know, you can go back to the beginning of this is a seven year run for Matthews, Marner, Nylander together. Uh, and in none of the seven years have those three guys basically put their heads together and their talent together and their skills together and have taken over a playoff series. And they all have the ability to do it. They're phenomenally talented players. And they're the, the guys that have to lead this franchise and push this franchise forward. They're chosen by Kyle Dubas. They're put out in those situations. They were signed long-term by Kyle Dubas. So his belief was, we're going to have the most talented top four in the league. No one else is going to be able to compare to that. And, and frankly, when you break it down, very few teams can. Um, yeah. But that doesn't seem to matter at playoff time when when Marcheseau is scoring a hat trick for, for Vegas or, or guys like that around the league are doing, you know, what, what Pavelski's doing in Dallas, you know, you know, is Pavelski as good as William Nylander? Not a chance. But Pavelski had nine goals, I think, in that series with Seattle. You know, that's what the Leafs have never had. So you can go through what Carlos said. Is there a player problem? Yeah. But is it a player problem because the coach isn't good enough? I don't know. But I do know this. Against Montreal with a 3-1 lead, they came out scared in Game 5 and Game 6 and Game 7. They didn't play to win that series. They played to not lose. And you go back the year before that, they played Columbus in, in a best of five. And, and they lost the final game 3-0 to a Columbus team. I don't know, the best player may have been Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, you, you know, you, you look around what's happened. Tampa last year, they, had, they came home for game six, up 3-2. All they had to do was win one of the final two games, lost uh, six and seven. If you go through Steve, all those Steve, games, you, you get the feeling though that the, the the pressure and the expectations are suffocating this group that they it's just too much to handle. So I have to ask you, uh, how tough are you on these guys, and how tough are the members of the media on these guys? You just you get the feel. Is it what is it? Is it a fan expectation? Is it what is it exactly? Well, well, first of all, you know the talent. That's the problem. It's it's I would equate this. You love a rock band. And you listen to them all the time. And you can't, you can't get enough of their music. And then you go see them live. They have no energy. And they're singing off tune. And you're wondering, what in the heck is going on here? This concert sucks. And I think that's a little bit like the Maple Leafs at playoff time. You know, Mitch Marner, two-time first-team All-Star. The only Maple Leaf winger to do that in the modern era. We're talking from like 1950 on. No other Leaf has been a two-time first-team All-Star in a row. Uh, he was very average in the playoffs. Austin Matthews, who scored more goals than any player in the league at even strength since he's entered the NHL, didn't score in the temp and didn't score in the Florida series. Um, you know, you you know, you can look at and whatever those that band did not come together and did not you know wasn't able to produce when it mattered most. And I, and I wonder, yeah, after a while, can the same coach and the same players get over this? The hump when, you know, if the coach is getting out coached every year and the players are getting out played every year, then something's wrong with yeah. the group. I want to get to Matthews. Let's hear from him. Long term? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, my intention is to, to be here. I, I think I've, uh, 
you know, reciprocated that uh, before, how much I enjoy playing here and, and what it means to me and um, the organization, uh, my teammates, and, and how much, uh, you know, I just enjoy being here. So, How important to get that done before next season? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's important and, you know, it'll all kind of work itself out in due time and, um, and just kind of go from there. But, um, you know, as far as... Everything else goes. I mean, it's uh, you know, like I've like I've said before. I mean, I, I really do enjoy playing here, and it's it's a true honor. And um, you know, the work that you know we're putting into obviously continue to to strive for that that end result is uh, you know extremely motivating. So there you have it, Austin Matthews, who of course obviously says all the right things. His contract will be up in a year, and he talks about wanting to stay, and it's all going to play itself out in due time, and all stuff like that. And they're they're you're. You know, they're trying to get something done there, and uh, and he feels pretty good about it going forward. Um, and I'm going to make arguments, by the way, to hold on to Matthews in just a minute or two, right? I'm, I'm high on the player. I do realize that, you know, he underachieved in the playoffs big time. I thought he was almost a no-show in round two, which was extremely disappointing. The challenge that I have besides all of that, which was obviously concerning, is that even though I'm going to make an argument that they should keep him in a minute, the challenge that I have is the body language, Steve, there's something that's off. Uh, maybe you're used to seeing him like this. I just, I don't think he smiles as much as he should. I don't think he's, he looks as happy as he should. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it just, it seems like there's something troubling him, and I think it's more than the pressure. Do you get that same feel? No, I just know him well enough to say that there is nothing he likes doing less than coming out and talking to media. Oh, he got doesn't it. care for the media. He doesn't really respect the media. Um, he, he doesn't like the process of, you know, when 30 or 40 people go to a Leaf practice and all of the interviews are scrums with cameras and, you don't really get to know anybody anymore. You don't get to talk to them. You don't get private yeah. conversations the way, you know, many of us grew up in the business, you know, connecting with people. And so, you know, Austin Matthews has been brought into this sort of homogeneous NHL that he's now a part of. But name a team that's won a Stanley Cup without a great first line center. I, I don't think you can. And I don't think you could win without one. And so... If you let Matthews go, which I think would be a huge mistake, who's your number one center? Old, slow John Tavares? I don't think so. You can barely be a number two center at this point. Uh, and, and so you need you need an A defenseman, a number one center, a top flight, but not all-star necessarily, goaltender, and a very good coach. And every Stanley Cup winner has those things, pretty much. Everyone except the Carolina Hurricanes. I think of what year was yeah. it, 2005 or something? When well, the, the Colorado Avalanche won it last year. Would obviously, with Nathan McKinnon, the Tampa Bay Lightning won it for a couple of years with Braden Point. Uh, the St. Louis Blues won it with uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen. Washington won it 
with Kuznetsov and Backstrom at center. The Pittsburgh Penguins won it a couple of times with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. The Chicago Blackhawks won it with Jonathan Taze. The Los Angeles Kings, maybe to a lesser degree, Anze Kopitar. No, he's pretty nice. Well, not a lesser shabby. degree, Anze Kopitar to me. Yeah, I think yeah, he's one yeah. of the best players in the NHL. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and, and I think maybe Jeff Carter before that. The Boston Bruins won it with Patrice Bergeron. Uh, the Penguins again, Detroit. Uh, probably Pavel Datsyuk, yeah. Anaheim, Ryan Getzlav. Carolina, you're going back. Was was it Eric Stahl? And Eric back Stahl was the center, but they didn't have a a really good defenseman on that team. And they're, they're the exception to the rule. Although one of the Pittsburgh Stanley Cups, uh, Chris Letang was hurt for. And yeah. so he didn't play. So they, they had a probably the weakest defense that's ever yeah. won a cup. No, Steve, um, your point is well taken. As a matter of fact, Look, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, the second that ta- that Toronto knocked off Tampa and I saw Boston get knocked off by Florida and I saw Colorado get knocked off by Seattle, I took a look at Toronto's top three centermen, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and Ryan O'Reilly, and I went live on the air, on radio, on television, and on this podcast, and I said, the highway is opened up for Toronto. I think this is their cup to lose. At any point, even though they don't have a history of doing all that well in the playoffs, did you not feel the same way? Absolutely, because the teams I thought would come out of the East, starting with Boston, then the New York Rangers, then maybe Carolina, but when they started losing people, you know, I believed less and less in Carolina, although when you watch them now, you have to believe more and more. Um, I thought there was every opportunity for the Leafs to get through in the East, and I thought for a minute there that we might see an Edmonton-Toronto Stanley Cup final. And, you know, and, and of course, it didn't happen. And, and both teams wound up getting punched in the gut in, in round two. Um, yeah. But I thought, again, I'll go back to the the, the, the Leafs played the Habs. Um, the, I forget what the year. The year that Montreal went to the finals. Yeah, two years ago. And... and you know, to me, that was the the worst defeat of this era with this team, because not just because they had the three one lead, but because of the possibility of the Canadian division and moving on to the finals and advance. Yes. advance. And Montreal took advantage of it. God bless them for doing that. Um, and one game was, five and game seven in Toronto, by the way. Yeah, and you know what? And the Leafs, I think, in game six were like twelve nothing in shots on goal in overtime and thirteen to and then, two. Yeah. And then, and then they came back and scored. Um, yeah. But my, my point is, that was a great opportunity, and they couldn't find a way. And this yeah. year, although it reminded me of one of the years, years ago when, when I think it was the, the might be the 93 Canadians, when Pittsburgh yeah. was eliminated by the Islanders. Correct. David Volek, game seven, overtime. Yeah. yeah. When that happened, you know, it opened up possibilities for that team that kept winning in overtime. And yeah. sometimes you just have to be able to take advantage of the path that you have. And yeah. that's one of the flaws, you know, one of the flaws of this Leafs team and of the 20 players, I'm going to push goalies to a side for a second. They, they, they got, if I, if I can, Steve, uh, yeah. for, you know, for the benefit of those watching, they did get eliminated yeah. by the greatest player of all time, arguably, right? Wayne Gretzky went into Toronto yeah. and scored yeah. a hat trick in game seven. One of which yeah. I believe was off of Ellett's skate at the time. 
and uh, the Los I mean, Angeles Kings. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm argue. I might argue the best player of all time thing with you, but you're a Bobby Orr kind of guy. I'm a Bobby Orr guy. I figure. Yeah, no. my dad tells me the same thing. But he grew up watching Bobby Orr. I grew up watching Great Wayne Gretzky. I was born in '72, so I miss Bobby. I, my first job in, in the NHL was covering the Calgary Flames, which I did oh, really? from 19, 1980 to '87. So I saw the greatest years of Gretzky's career. Yeah, in many playoff series against the Flames, and what a fantastic! You know, I, I think I watched the best hockey ever played. Yeah, so those Calgary Edmonton series—amazing! It, it was like nothing I've seen and since. That Gretzky um, goal in overtime was it over Mike Vernon's shoulder? Mike I think Vernon, uh, yep. it was. Uh, it was a real, and Gretzky wasn't known for having the best slap shot, but sometimes when he got all of it, he got all of it. And by the way, you talked about the best hockey. To this day, I say the Canada Cup. And what was it in 87? 87, 87 yeah, yeah that, that's the that three game series of three games of six five for me. And a lot of, yeah, you know, once again, those who are older will probably talk about the Summit Series. But once again, I was born in 72. But that 87 Canada Cup is the best hockey I've ever watched in my life. It, and the reason it's the best hockey you've ever watched in your life is because it's the best hockey that's ever been played and the most yeah. exciting hockey. The and 72 like, series. And you are on the same line. Yeah. The 72 series was more about the politics and the first time we'd ever seen the Russians and the NHL yeah. and the superiority and in Canada, you know, just expected to, to beat them. And then they get, then they're behind and then they come back and, and all yeah. the things that went into that. And so it, it was fascinating theater, but it wasn't great hockey the way, the way 87 was. Oh, and watch those games and the plays made and the players involved and there's Gretzky and there's Lemieux and there's Coffee and there's yeah Grant Fury and goal and and, Bossy and Trotje and Dale Howarchuk yeah it was so so many great and players Russia had a first line of Krutov, Larionov, and Makarov yeah with Fatisov and, on defense and that was yeah, it was yeah, unbelievable was, yeah they had they used to go in the group of fives yeah. Hey, Steve, what a pleasure this is. Every time I talk to you, uh, man, uh, you are really, really, really good at what you do. Before I let you go, uh, I want let, let's hear from Mitch Marner and general manager Kyle Dubas. Another chance with the same four. And I got, are you talking about like this whole team or just you, John, Austin, Morgan? I mean, Willie. Yeah. <laughs> we all got years left on our contracts. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's not up to us, but we got a lot of belief in this group. We got a lot of belief in that core, and you know, it sucks right now, but we got belief. I mean, that's not up to me to decide. I think you know, um, you know we're proud of our season, um, things that we were able to do over the course of it. Um, I love these guys. You know, I don't. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't want. All right. Okay. Uh, not so sure who is who was that the second that one. Was was Morgan that, Riley, the second. That voice, was Morgan Riley. Yeah. Do we have Kyle? By, Dubin? By, by the way, Morgan Riley was far and away the best Maple Leaf in the playoffs. A hundred percent close to him. A hundred percent. The salmon and yellow back at Master Control. Do we have Kyle Dubas or not? Um, what I would say to that is that um, I think it it requires me to have a full family discussion, Chris. So I, I can't. My family is a, a hugely important 
part of what I do. So for me to commit to anything without, you know, having a fuller uh, understanding of what this year took on them uh, is probably unfair for me to answer where I'm at. I wish I could give you more, but we haven't been able to have those full discussions yet. But it was a very hard year on them. And uh, thus, it's tough for me to... What I would say is that I'm, I'm not going to... I definitely don't have it in me to go anywhere else. So it'll either be here or it'll be taking time to recalibrate, reflect on the seasons here. But you won't see me next week pop up elsewhere. I, don't, I can't put them through that after this year. Steve, the images we saw of Kyle Dubas uh, during the playoffs in, in, in the, uh, the press box in the loge, of course, with Jason Spezza by his side, a much cooler Jason Spezza and Kyle Dubas with the fans getting on his case. And it would, they were obviously getting under his skin. You saw him uh, exchange pleasantries with the fans. Um, uh, you saw him upset at officials, upset at calls, throw water bottles, all that stuff. Uh, you can tell that he was really consumed by these playoffs. And uh, what an answer, eh? Really coming from the heart on that one. What what do you think he's going to do? I think it goes back to Shanahan. Because if Shanahan is kept, I believe Dubas will be the general manager if he wants to be the general manager. Well, we can't sit here and know is, was there stress on his marriage this year? Was there stress from his parents? You know, has there been a, a situation with one of his children? You know, are there other things that are not hockey related? Because the Kyle Dubas that we saw in that press conference yesterday and the Kyle Dubas we saw in the playoffs was not one we've seen ever before. He opened, he spoke from the heart yesterday like he never has before. And he, you know, he clearly let it be known that there's more at play here than, than the hockey job. And, you know, whether, you know, whether who knows what, you know, his wife thinks of him working 24 seven or, you know, whether the kids are upset or whoever, you know, everyone has a home life and everyone has that. And, you know, we've all lived through it in our own way and in, in our own, you know, lives. So, so I perfectly understand where Kyle's coming from, but, uh, I think there would have been jobs for him if the Leafs weren't interested. And, but I think Shanahan wanted to sign him last summer and, and ownership would not let him do that. And so I, I believe that Shanahan would get that opportunity again, but he worked the whole year knowing the owners didn't want him to get an extension. And that's a, yeah. that's a hard thing to go through. Yeah. We talked about Austin Matthews before, and I said, I'd get back to it. And I understand he underachieved really. I did. I do. But for the most part, in the last six or seven years, he's led this team in points. And when he hasn't led them in points, it's because he's probably been injured and missed anywhere between 8 to 20 games. And if you take a look at his points per game, he would be number one or number two. He's a 25-year-old number one center who has 60 goals in him and over 100 points in him. And if you make Austin Matthews expendable and you trade him, man, you're really going to have to get something in return because your other two centermen, uh, one's under contract, one won't be. But I mean, they're both 32 years old, and it just it wouldn't make sense at all. So, um, what? Yeah, I know you said if Shanahan's back, Dubis will be back if he wants to be back. Is there any chance that if Shanahan's back, 
He looks at Mark Hunter because at one point he made a decision. It was Dubas over Hunter, and Dubas got the job. Is there any chance that you can see the Hunter brothers taking over in Toronto? Zero. Zero. Wow. Zero. Wow. Um, Mark Hunter had his opportunity when it was wow. a first among equals situation. One was running one part of the organization. One was running the other part of the organization. And the Leafs had to make a choice. They had Lou Lamarillo as general manager. And Shanahan decided, Lou's run his course. I'm going to make a decision. He decided on Kyle. You know, Mark left and, and never returned, yeah. so to speak, to the NHL. And is back, you know, running, you know, the best junior operation in the country. And, and, and doing that fabulously well. But yes. I don't, the only way they would ever turn to Mark Hunter is if Kyle chose to leave or they decided that they were going to let him go. And I don't see the, any reason why they would choose to let him go because yeah. I don't know where you find anyone. You know how hard it is to find a good general manager. I hear you. Like, anyone who's better than yeah. he is at the job. I think Craig Button said something very interesting. I believe it was yesterday where he said, you know, Scotty Bowman at one point, he told the players in Detroit that he was going to make them and things very uncomfortable if they were going to be able to take the next step. And he did. And they went on to win Stanley cups. And he says, they need somebody in Toronto. That's going to make the players accountable. But, but that, that, has to come from, that has to come from the coach. Yeah. But, you know, the, but I was going to say that, didn't they have that with Mike Babcock as a coach? And then they have that from uh, Lou Lamorello as a general manager. Like they've gone through so many different paths of Lou Lamorello as the general manager. Now Kyle Dubas as Mike Babcock as a coach, as Paul Maurice as a coach, as Sheldon Keefe as a like, I don't know what they have to do. Like, I don't think anyone can see the, the core four coming back. So I'll end it with this. What would you do? I'm putting you on the spot here, but you're a big boy with tons of experience. So I know you can take it. And thick skin. What would you do, and what do you think MLSC will do? Well, I said earlier that I would replace, you know, the president, which would replace the GM, which would replace the coach. I got it. But I'm going to put an asterisk beside that. I would have to have candidates for all those positions that I believe are better than the people that you'd be letting go. So then you move to what will they do? I believe Shanahan will be back. I believe Dubas will be the general manager. And I think they're going to have a long and hard decision and discussion about Sheldon Keith, the coach. Because you look right now, there are four teams left in the NHL. Three of them have first-year experienced coaches behind their benches. Peter DeBoer goes into Dallas. They're, they're playing you know, for, for, for a spot in the finals. Bruce Cassidy yeah. goes to Vegas. Same thing, turns that team around. You know, these are Paul Maurice, same thing with Florida. These are good long-term NHL coaches. Serious, surely there's somebody out there that's had some kind of playoff success that can point to that, that Sheldon Keefe can't. And if there's a flaw, Sheldon Keefe's had very good regular seasons with the Leafs. And they've accomplished a lot, in, not just in wins and losses, but in style of play and becoming better defensively and cutting down chances and all the things coaches are supposed to do to, to make your team better. And, and he's done that. What he hasn't been able to do is get them to elevate their games when it mattered most. And, and they need someone that can do that. He is Steve Simmons of uh, the Toronto Sun, and you can follow him on Twitter at Simmons Steve. And he is the best-selling author of The Lost Dream and Lanny. 
Uh, it doesn't happen very often. Like I said, I'm hoping it can happen more often, Steve. It is always an extreme pleasure for me. Thank you so much for everything you brought to the table tonight, as you always do. Thanks again. Have a great night. All right. You too, and enjoyed it as always. Thank you very much. There you have it. Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun. I'm Marinero. It is the Sick Podcast, and we go live Monday to Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you like it, like it right now. If you want, share it with your friends. The more people, the, the more the merrier, the better it is. Tell your friends about it everywhere you go. Tell them about the Sick Podcast because we're taking over the uh, sports scene in Montreal. We're taking over the sports scene in Quebec. We're taking over the sports scene in Canada. And if you take a look at uh, the way we've been uh, ranked over the past year, uh, we have established ourselves as uh, the um, the Montreal Canadiens. And when they're gone out of the playoffs, a hockey podcast that is a force to be reckoned with. And we're pretty excited about that. If you uh, tend to agree with that, if you listen to us on Google, um, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. That's our way of feeling the love. Once again, brought to you in part by La Beta TB. Embrace your true nature. ExcelMoto.com for all your motorcycle and scooter needs. And, of course, uh, big dealers of the Piaggio Group, number one in North America for the last five years. An energy transportation group recently named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies comes as no surprise to me. Congratulations are in order for my buddies, Mike Cinquino and Sean Gerard. I am so, so proud of them. That's a great spot to work for all of you watching on social media, the sick community. You are my sick army. I can't wait for us to get together. I think it's going to happen in the next month. I've been promising you that for a while. We're working on something and just can't wait to meet all of you and shake hands with all of you and take a picture with all of you and uh, do what we love to do most. And that is talk sports, talk hockey, and talk about, of course, the Montreal Canadiens. For Agnello and Sammy at Master Control, their Cavallaro, be true to yourself. I am. Who am I? <laughs> I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. <laughs>